Welcome to the Cocktail Guru Podcast. A show about food, drink, and entertainment. With a tight focus on the good life. And all things delicious, luxurious, and fun. I'm Jonathan Pogash, bartender, author, and the host of Cocktails the Grand Tour. And I'm Jeffrey Pogash, wine and spirits professional, author, insatiable collector of culinary ephemera, and so people tell me, an engaging raconteur. And my dad. Here we are again, uh, the Cocktail Guru podcast. I'm here with uh, Dad, Jeff Pogash. Hi, John. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well. I'm doing <laughs> well. Um, I wore my special uh, Caliente Hot Chili Pepper shirt um, in honor of you, Dad, but also in honor of our guest who herself is Caliente. Um, uh, and... Yes. Yes, she is. <laughs> um, oh, but, yeah. <laughs> but uh, drinking, uh, I have a, a little drinky poo right over here. That's what I call my drink sometimes, a little drinky poo. Yeah, that's um, a great name for a cocktail. That's, that's <laughs> funny because I say the same thing, drinky poo. <laughs> um, and so I've got some Milagro uh, right over here. Ooh, the, actually, take, the, the select barrel reserve. Ooh, Hold on a tequila. second. Hold on a second. I'm just going to do a little, uh, little shot, little shot ski here. Hold on. Mm. <sighs> there we go. <laughs> um, to your health. To, to your health, Dad. Uh, before we bring on, well, we always do this cocktail, little cocktail toast before we bring on our, our amazing guest. And it looks like she's pouring herself a dram of something. Um, I, I thought, uh, you know, in general, I thought that my father, who is obviously here as my co-host, was the foremost expert in historical aspects of all things cocktails and spirits until, until I met our next guest. Uh, Tiffany Barrier, a.k.a. The Drinking Coach, is a cocktail historian, mixologist, great friend, and, full disclosure, a longtime member of the Cocktail Guru team. Please welcome mm. Tiffany. Yay. Welcome, Tiffany. Thanks for welcoming me. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. This is a vibe. I wasn't expecting this kind of energy, but that's what I love. I love bringing energy Oh, yeah. We've got nothing but energy around. Nothing but energy. I'm going to catch up with you all. I just pulled out my carafe of a 1956 crown oil. Whoa. Uh, Whoa. Yeah, before it was, when it, before it was uh, uh, the sweet stuff, it was a beautiful, nice, spicy rye style. So I'm going to enjoy that. It's really, it's very funny you should say that because I have an old bottle. Of Crown Royal. Yeah? Yes. Sitting not too far away from where I am right now. It's still yes. in that satin box. Yes, still in a satin box. Yeah. And it and it is absolutely delicious. And it's, it it does have a rye character to it, definitely. So yeah. before before we really get into the meat of it, um, we always start our episodes by asking our guest of honor, what is your desert island cocktail or drink? That is, you know, if you're stranded on a desert island, what what one drink do you need to have in your hand? Man, I don't use the word basic often, but I'm sipping margaritas all day. Mm. A nice, mm. a nice sour. Yep, yep. Scotia yep. salts margarita. <laughs> Ooh, I mean, is, with yes. that nice creamy color, light green, just mm. almost opaque, nice and refreshing, and full of agave. That is a really good one, and and margaritas are one of my absolute favorite 
cocktails of all time. We've probably I, shared many a margarita, uh, Tiff, think, Tiffany. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, we've no, we have known each other for quite some time. What I did not know, though, is that not only are you a Houston native, but your family is mostly from Louisiana. Yep. Yeah. So where and and now you're in Hotlanta. Um, so where did you know? How did you get from where you are, where you were, to where you are? Man, um, so Houston and Lafayette are quite close. If anyone's been down I-10 in that area, it's a deep bayou, and crossing over the state line is a hop, skip, and a jump. Just a couple of road stops, and you're there. So my school was in Houston because education's way different in Houston than it is over in Louisiana. And every day on the last day of school, my mom and dad would drive me to Louisiana and I'd spend my countries, my summers in the country. So I never knew what city life was during the summertime. It was, I only know country life. So when people say, where are you from? I just say the bayou. Houston is the bayou city and, <laughs> and Louisiana is the bayou. And after high school, man, I heard about this place called Atlanta and it was like the Mecca and all kind of cool things were happening. My father had a slice of the 96 Olympics and brought me here to visit and we kind of fell in love. It was a vibe here. It felt so nice. There's a lot of people that looked like me and sounded like me and definitely knew how to party and drink. And uh, <laughs> I didn't quite know it was going to go that way, but I actually applied for a job just to play, like goof off. Um, I just, my buddy and I thought it would be cool. We saw a a now hiring sign and went, let's go pretend we're going to get a job. Um, this is fresh out of college and walked in and was hired on the spot. Um, I was thrown behind the bar quickly and I'm still in love with that bar. I love people and I love cocktails and Atlanta's got such a fantastic energy and we've been in love ever since. Yes. One one flew south. Was, this that, was, was that, that is that the bar you were talking about? No, probably not yet. Or was it? No, but no. you guys want to laugh really hard. Yes, please, I, please, I, please, I got, desperately, like desperately. <laughs> I really, really need to laugh really, really hard. I also got one flew south by accident, goofing off. I can be quite silly, and a friend of mine. <laughs> actually read an article about this craft bar that was going to open in the airport and needed a ride. And I thought it'd be really cool if I, you know, I was like, sure, I'll give you a ride. And I didn't want to make circles around the airport and paying for parking was expensive, but I thought I'd make a, a thing of it. And so I put on a really cool dress and had fake luggage and <laughs> took my buddy into the airport, parked uh, while she stood in line for her interview I pretended as if I was going to take a flight, but I guess I have this energy that let the then chef uh, pay attention to me. And he said, hey, you're next to be interviewed. And I was like, yeah, okay, sure. That's it. And uh, I left my fake luggage in the hallway and I went into the interview and it was just like I'd met this man in a previous life. We talked for 45 minutes um, and who'd have thought that that bar that I worked at changed my entire life. Uh, I started, I opened that bar in 2007 and it's still a big part of my life. Wow. 2007. Yes. And that, and that was a craft 
cocktail bar. That's what we just started using the word craft. Uh, We weren't even, we weren't, that word was kind of a joke here and there, but we Mm -hmm. were doing it. We were doing it in an airport on top of that. Um, I mean, like who would, who would think like, what the, what the heck? (laughs) That there, there was no decent airport bar anywhere in 2007. You could not, you could not pay me to have a cocktail at an airport bar. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Now it's different, but Probably in part, thanks to you, things have changed quite a bit. Well, uh, we made sure we could show you it could happen. We we all were ready to do it, just really scared. We also opened during a recession. Uh, oh, yeah. We opened during election year. Obama was actually getting ready to become president. It was a lot going on in America. The only thing we could mirror ourselves was a bar in Heathrow, London, that we yeah. would just kind of go, they can do it. We can do it. And... We did it. We opened the doors and, um, man, they're still open. <laughs> yeah. And, and because of that, you won many awards just for your work in that establishment. James Beard nomination, Tastemaker of the South, uh, Best Airport Bar from Tales of the Cocktail. Uh, it's just incredible to think that such a place could exist at the Hartsfield Jackson airport. It's still unbelievable. Uh, We did receive a lot of awards. We never knew who we were serving. We're also the busiest, the airport here in Atlanta is the busiest and largest airport in the world. Yes. 100 million people. And we had the nerve to have the number one airport restaurant and bar in the largest airport in the world. (laughs) Uh, ridiculous. The, my, there's not a day that goes six years in a row. Um, our awards just kept coming and to be awarded best airport bar in the world to travel in continuously, uh, was mind blowing. Um, James Beard was exciting for us as well. We didn't get that nomination for our cocktail program or chef's amazing menu. We got it for service. And that is still is the pulse and the heartbeat for us. Um, so, so tell me, tell me a little bit about specifically the the service aspect at One Flew South. You know, the philosophy, if you will. Well, no one's in charge. Um, the airlines are in charge, and so there's a lot going on in a guest's mind when they are jumping on a flight. Um, they have no idea. There's zombies in the airport. They have no idea what's going on. They are thinking about where they're going, where they came from, where is there some power outlet. Um, can I get a buzz? Um, where's the bathroom? It's Mm -hmm. just, it's chaos. It's absolute chaos. And so when you know that is the everyday mindset of the guests, you have to be prepared for that. And so you've got to be extremely understanding and very humble and hospitable. Your kindness comes in a different way. You definitely don't ask the basic questions like, Hey, how are you? Um, or (laughs) you're just like, First question is, what time's your flight? And you will be amazed how many people just freeze then because they don't know. And so that part, they kind of get it together and they, they, they go, oh, well, my flight is, and they rumble and they fumble and then they tell you, and then you instantly know what you can do with oh, that time. Right, you instantly right. fix it. You go, well, okay, your flight's in an hour and a half, what concourse? And they figure that out too. By that point, your water is down, your silver rail's down, you are ready. You're, you're just, you're moving while you're getting that person to figure out what the heck they're doing and a menu could be placed down or at that point of that comfortable 
two minute set, they're just so comfortable. They're just they their shoulders relax and they look around like you're 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 talking to me and it's very kind and there's water right here. Wow. And and then they go, what should I do? And you say, well, you've got an hour and a half or you've got 45 minutes or 10. How about I put in an amazing salmon dish and bring out a glass of wine to pair with it? And they go, oh, okay, great. Like we're done. And then from that point on, they can do whatever they want, fumble on their phone or goof off or flirt or work, (laughs) whatever they want to do while we execute um, what needs to happen. (laughs) I love that. I mean, that, that right there is the epitome of hospitality, you know, Um, just being able to read the guest's mind without them saying anything in a way. Uh, and, and it's a very personal touch, which I love and appreciate anytime I go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I got chills right now thinking about it. It's so exciting to be kind, but when it's, it's even more exciting to be kind during chaos, when you, you can see it, you can see what's happening and you can just fill in the blank really quick before they know it. They're like, Whoa, that we're done. I'm like, we're done. We're, we're done. It's like giving a shot and you're so nervous and you take the shot. You're like, we're, yeah. we're done. It's really exciting. And so that really gave us, um, and that was very consistent. I uh, ran that service program and built out our model of getting to know the person. I'm, I'm Jonathan knows I'm, I'm super passionate. I am a crybaby, and I, I get <laughs> in my feelings, but that's okay. And especially during, um, work. It's nice to get in your feelings sometimes because people are flying there. You don't know what they're doing. It's not always work. It could be bad news. It could be good news. It could be, you don't know what, but we can give you a great drink and something to eat. And I'm hugging too, back when we could hug, you know? Yeah. You're, remember you're that? A hugger. Remember when we could hug? I, oh, I remember, I remember that vividly. And I remember Tiffany hugs too. Those are good hugs. <laughs> and, and we will do it again. We will. Don't worry. Yes, we will. One thing I didn't know about you, Tiffany, is your love of cocktail history. I didn't know that you were such an historian. And I wanted to ask you, how did you get involved in that? And what kinds of things do you read or collect and look for? That's a fantastic question. Coming in the bartending game, Every person I would sit at their bar and listen to them work or compete, they always told a story. I thought it was so cool because that's what we do as creatives behind the bar. We grab this bottle. It goes with that bottle. And there's a story behind it somehow, even if it's an obnoxious, random story. And I love a good story time at the bar. It's like circle time. And I uh, (laughs) paid attention to even more fine details beyond just – how a, a bottle was made or, or I wanted to know more, like what was happening around that year when said spirit was being made. There's usually a war around cause that was weird, but there was always a war. <laughs> there is also always some marriage or, or, or a, a woman around, which was also very interesting. I just like jumping in that rabbit hole. Um, we love doing cocktail history, but there's a lot of things that were going on while these cocktails were going on. So me and the rabbit hole get along well. My closest friends definitely call me Alice in Wonderland because I will go there and <laughs> I will go all the way deep in. And I find myself touching into encyclopedias, which is the first and foremost, like what was going on at that time. But I read obituaries. I look at census polls, like who was being arrested. I look at jail records, who was being arrested and why. So that got me heavy into bootlegging and Kentucky whiskey, like 
those kind of things, um, church records, you name it, mm-hmm. I'm on it. And being a black woman, there's a little history that is hard to find. So I dig even harder to figure out, you know, what was this culture doing? What, what, what was happening? And I just can't stop reading about stuff. It's really nice to share the narratives of multiple cultures and ingredients and stuff like that. Like we just didn't come up with cocktails and agriculture is pretty neato. I mean, this is from the earth. So I, um, I don't know how I got here, dad. I just started reading. Well, I I love walking through old cemeteries myself. Yes. But I, I do, I do that frequently, but I also love collecting cocktail books which I've been doing since, I don't know, the 19, late 1980s, early 1990s. So I, uh, I'm obsessed with that, going back into history and seeing who created which cocktails. Dad is, yeah. obsessed, Dad is obsessed with several things, including um, the cocktail book collecting, but also menu collecting. Oh, yes. Um, yes, yes. He has a ginormous uh, stash of menus. <laughs> Um, yes, re- restaurant menus, bar yeah. menus, cocktail menus. Yeah, you're so cool, Everything. Dad. Isn't he cool? He's my the father. My father collected coasters. Ah, so he didn't take good. the whole menu, but he definitely took the coaster. Um, and if it had ring marks on it, you know, watermarks that just showed the story, yeah. you could actually remember it or smell it, which was odd but cool. Um, that that was a beer night, or that was a whiskey night, or that was I was in a cigar bar, things like that. That was super cool. And bottle caps were something cool that I would do for a while. Yes. It's junky. Yes. Um, it's junky and, and things like that. So uh, <laughs> I love collecting yeah. faves. That's neat. And thanks to my parents, I happen to have another collection that Jonathan probably doesn't even know about. And that's a matchbook. Matchbook. Oh. Coll- not gold. Matchbook oh. collection from all of the great restaurants of New York. In the from the 1950s, 1940s on, because they went to all of the great restaurants in New York and in other parts of the country as well. So everywhere they went, they took matchbooks. It'll go to the museum. It'll go so in the museum. It's it's that's, part that's of the it's go. part of the museum already. It's the Pogash yes. collection. Yes. Um, what I love so so part of so part of the the philosophy of this podcast is the convergence or the intersection of food, drink, and culture. And Mm -hmm. what I love about cocktail history is that it's culture. And that is something that you have been focusing on, um, specifically, I think, with a focus on the South and the culture of the South and ingredients of the South and the people of the South. Um, And, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking about it all as we kind of approach the holidays and ingredients, and we're like stuffing our faces with what we think are foods that are native or indigenous or, you know, that, that we give thanks to, you know, who are we really giving thanks to when we're consuming these food and liquid ingredients? And, and I think I've seen from some of your posts, you have some done research on specific ingredients and who they tie into and what culture and all of that. Is there sort of a, a one or two specific ingredients that you find fascinating? Pecans. Mm, <laughs> pecans. Yes. Pecan pie. Oh my God. Oh, yeah. Pecans. Pecans. Yeah. It brings nostalgia to just about anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I think about how pecans became an American snack 'em, 
it's a little different because pecans weren't really grown all over. I mean, they were, we just didn't discover it. And so uh, Thomas Jefferson had some quite uh, very interesting enslaved people. He, I mean, I don't talk many great things about that gentleman, but he had some cool things come out of his place here in America. And he had a lot of botanists on, on the ground and he had a lot of, uh, great uh, grafters. And there's a gentleman who was grafting the pecan because Thomas Jefferson loved the party and he loved to invite anybody to the house that was not from, you know, America. So he could show off his land and they would bring these gift, these gifts from their land and the pecan was here. And he would tell his help, make that happen here. Like, show me how we can make cider here. Show me how we can have cool tea, how we can have pecans. Um, and we did it. So I, it started off with grafting uh, a certain pecan uh, into that tree and watching it grow and learning how it could be what it is. Um, the pecan was so cool that it was uh, inducted in a pecan, a, a, a world fair and won best pecan of the year. Like, <laughs> I'd love to go to that festival. <laughs> um, but it was yeah. looked at as the one of the coolest, tastiest nuts uh that were here and 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 i think that that's kind of neat because pecans grow on a tree of course we know but growing it is not easy has anyone tried to grow a pecan before not easy (laughs) at all and the fact that this man had fields and acres of it was pretty neato and it was done by a black man i just find it so neat um and then that grafting of course stretched and stretched and stretched and now we can see pecan trees all over the place and but then having it in obviously in a liquid form um, or adding it into foods or pies and cakes, candies, uh, it's kind of neato. That that is a an old good story and a good combination of what, you know, our people from the past, our ancestors did to make us enjoy things now. Those are the fun stories I like to share. And Tiffany, what has influenced you most when it comes to cocktail making? Hmm. Is it a particular region in the United States or is it a particular type of ingredient? The South. I'm so in love with the South. (laughs) Just, I am from the South, but I just love how much land and how much we can grow in the South. We, what we can do to it from fermenting it to distilling it to uh, jamming it and jarring it. There's so many Mm -hmm. things that we can do with one ingredient and, I love that. That's usually my style of cocktails. Very simple, but very balanced using set ingredient multiple times, if possible. Uh, the South is just a thrive for me. And the South has a, a yucky history. So like highlighting those great parts is what keeps me going, keeps me motivated to keep the South on the map. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely. Are, are you a fan of mint juleps? Of course. Of course. Good. Uh, Good. Then you're my friend. We could That's mint julep all the time. Um, making the mint julep. Jonathan and I made mint juleps together a year ago, I believe. Yeah, it was like right at the beginning of the, the pandemic, I think. I was doing Instagram Lives and I, I or, oh, my Facebook Live show that I had. Yeah, that I had. Um, yeah, yeah we, did a, we did a mint julep. There's some really cool juleps out there. I mean, we know the stories and the connection to it, to the Derby. But I've been researching um, cocktails, especially the mint julep, for the past year. 
mm-hmm. a collaboration oh, yeah. I'm doing with um, Tony Tipton Martin. And there are multiple mint juleps. Some have rum in there. Some have brandy. Yes. Some have, you know, whiskey. We just and need some it have, Some have peach schnapps. Yes, they do. Some have pineapple syrup. Some yeah. have, I mean, it's got, it's a party to see a mint julep come out and to see the caterers from that time um, not only create their style of mint julep, but to make this like the American cocktail, like mm. Charles Dickens came to America. He said, they said he hated Virginia, but he had to go to Dabney's spot and get this mint julep. He couldn't understand like, what is this thing these people are drinking? And to see mint and whiskey meet each other was just like, Amazing. Yeah. That's a Southern vibe right there. And, and you, yeah. you said you, you mentioned Dabney. Can you tell us a little, a uh, quick little bit about Dabney? Who was, who was that? Super cool. Um, enslaved gentleman who bought his freedom eventually, but uh, Dabney was a really cool um, um, equestrian and caterer. He was, his family and him were enslaved uh, when he was quite young, but he was kind of spunky uh, his owners would let him come into the bar and work and do the bar work, the bar back work under the age of 10. Um, and he just was incredible. He spoke two different lang- two to three different languages. And for that to happen for, at that time, you call for help, for that young gentleman to be able to speak so articulately and multiple languages, they had to put him in the front of the, of the room. So he was making cocktails before... Uh, before he should have been, there was no age limits then. (laughs) And uh, he was rocking it out. Um, Emancipation proclamation happened. Freedom was happening. Freedom happened. And John was like, I don't really, I don't know what to do. I mean, can you imagine not being free and all of a sudden they say you're free? You're like, well, where do I go? What do I do? I don't, there's nowhere really to go. And he, he really had a great following. Uh, A lot of great regulars that came to see him at the saloon. And so he saved up his coin. There also was a point where you could save up and buy freedom. And he saved up enough money to free his wife and kids. He also saved up enough money that he opened his own catering spot. So this time frame of cocktail making and being served was, was unique. I mean, unfortunately you only saw, you mainly saw a black man or woman making cocktails. And there were other, there were, white men making cocktails also but this black guy's over here crushing it and he's crushing it pretty <laughs> solid and so he's the person of choice he has a beautiful bar and, and he's also a chef and a hell of a team to rock out some of the best mint juleps in virginia at the time richmond at the time and uh he was the go-to spot for the julep he would garnish it with uh all kinds of fruits and berries from his um backyard backyard garden um, and he was the go-to again. They, uh, he was he was just that guy. Um, he died in debt, but uh, he he left a really great legacy. I've met his great 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 grandson about five years ago. Really, we did a mint julep competition um, with an amazing uh, historian group in Richmond, and we just dis- we found his descendants. The kid had no idea who his great great grandfather was. <laughs> oh my god! He's a college kid. He had no idea. I mean, he saw pictures, but he didn't. He didn't understand the magnitude that is. Uh, his great great grandfather had put the mint julep on the map for Richmond, and um, 
super cool event. Mm. I drank a lot of juleps that weekend. Uh. A lot of juleps. <laughs> Well, please invite us to your next mint julep event. <laughs> yeah, uh, we drink them all year round. I, I really mm. enjoy making them with um, Jamaican rum and, mm-hmm. and peach brandy more than yep. I do whiskey. Oh yeah, honestly. Yep. Yep. And and speaking of events, um, you know, kind of moving forward a little bit, we all know that we've been uh, well. You and I know we've been doing a lot of virtual events uh, these days, and um, I, I have to say, you have done a marvelous job. Uh, leading, leading, you know, dozens and dozens of virtual happy hours um, for yourself and your clients, but also for the cocktail guru. Um, what, what are your? I, I'd love to know what are your thoughts on doing these classes virtually these days. Um, what is sort of the? Well, well, what are your thoughts? I love it. I I love it. You know, last year when it was all we were doing. And it was four or five a day, six a day. It definitely um, burned a little bit. You know, there was a little bit of Zoom burnout. um, And it would be actually a lonely moment after the day was over and you say bye to these people. And it got back to the silence. It did get a little odd, but it did, or however shall I say, it did bring a good energy to bartending. I'm bartending at home to perfect strangers. I was grateful to log on and not know anybody that was on my screen. Before you know it, we were all best friends in an hour or double fisted or triple fisted for those awesome clients or day drinking or, you know, mm-hmm. I, I love it. I, I did not think I'd love the virtual world as much as I did, but I love connecting across the world, across the, I, I just love connecting with perfect strangers. They used to come to you and sit at your bar and now they can come to your laptop. I think it's pretty freaking cool. I enjoy it. Um, the network, the word of mouth has been so exciting. And I'm fueled when we hang up. I'm like, they're amazing. That was so fun because there's just a real, we're, we're relaxing. I always make sure people are barefoot or in flip flops or in fuzzy slippers before we get started. Like, let's get into this oh, thing. I, oh, I check in. That's cool. I mean, the now, desk is the desk is the new bar, and I now love dad, it. Dad, dad just did a wine and chocolate virtual for us um, last week, and I cannot imagine my father asking people to be barefoot <laughs> and put on fuzzy fuzzy slippers. Uh, no, as, as I. That's one thing I didn't ask them to do. No, but but I was shocked. I am shocked at how much I enjoy doing these virtual tastings. Yeah. I never thought I could get into it from a technical standpoint. I thought it would be an enormous challenge that I wouldn't be able to overcome. It was a but challenge I, for you, Dad, but we did overcome it. But but I overcame it. It took a lot of work, but I overcame <laughs> it. And I just love doing it. And the anonymity is quite interesting. Yeah. But I think I would prefer to be in a large room. I There were 160 people for this online tasting that I did. But I think I'd prefer to be in a room with 160 people talking to them directly, which again, we hope we'll be able to do soon. But I think, I think the virtual event is possibly here to stay. I want it to stay Um, through Jonathan, um, my own self, people want to see me. And, you know, remember I used to work at an airport where people would fly all over the world to see me. And it feels like that all over again, just in a different form, just a more modern form where I can, speak to someone that's not local because when I worked in the airport no one lived in Atlanta at my bar 
no one. <laughs> It'd be a shocker to see someone that was actually from Atlanta at the bar. So it's really cool to log on to with people in a different time zone um, and their houses. There's a really, really, for me, being the bartender and educator, it's really nice and intimate to connect with them in their home, the comfort of their home. That's why I'm like, hey, I'm in my Birkenstocks. Are you? Are you in your fuzzy slippers? You know, and they're like, I am. And I'm like, let's do this thing. And it's just exciting. We want to be hospitable at all times in the virtual world. There's nothing says hospitality, but at home, like being at home. So it's cool. And and you put on, you really do put on a great show and you're so comforting and welcoming and talented and educational at the same time and fun. And, you know, if, if I was doing a virtual event, I would want Tiffany as my instructor every single time. And you're very cool, Tiffany. Very hey. Cool. Love it. Thanks, cool. Dad. <laughs> um, well, Tiffany Barrier, thank you so very much for uh, joining us. This has been amazing. This was thank, amazing. Thank you, Tiffany. It thank was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. Happy Tuesday. Happy, happy Tuesday. Take care. <laughs> Bye. That does it for today's show. To learn more about future guests, visit thecocktailguru.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. The Cocktail Guru Podcast is produced by First Real Entertainment and distributed by Eats Drinks TV, a service of the Center for Culinary Culture, home of the Cocktail Collection, and is available via Anchor, Spotify, Apple, Google, and wherever fine podcasts can be heard.